Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for everything outdoors. Let's kick it into overdrive. Overdrive Outdoors podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Whether you are new to predator hunting or looking to upgrade your equipment, Predator Hunter Outdoors will have you hunting after the sun goes down. Carrying a full line of lights, night vision, and thermal optics, along with tripods, calls, mounting systems, and more, check them out at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com or on Facebook at Predator Hunter Outdoors. Use promo code OVERDRIVE2021 for 20% off your order. Want to lengthen your time in the field and shorten your scouting time? Not only does the HuntWise app show you property boundaries, landowners' names, and in some cases even their phone number, but using the app will show you the wind direction on the map of the place you want to hunt. And the HuntCast feature shows peak movement times for various species, including predators. Get the HuntWise app at www.huntwise.com, the Google Play Store, or the Apple App Store. For only $59.99 a year for Pro or $119.99 a year for Elite. Use promo code OVERDRIVE20 for 20% off an annual membership. Okay, good evening everybody. This is Kevin with Overdrive Outdoors and tonight we have a special guest, Scott Milkovich. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks Kevin for having me. Uh, happy to have you. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because I've followed you for a long time. I mean, we had, I think it started off because we both had a similar interest in the 6.5 Grendel. And then I started seeing, you know, your guns around and your business and all that. And I think this is the first time we've really talked face-to-face per se, though. Yeah, a lot of PMs on, on Facebook and everything and yep. shipping stuff to you. But uh, yeah, first time face-to-face and having a conversation. Right. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um I was actually born in just south of Chicago, and uh, after I graduated high school, I got out of there as fast as I can. And I don't uh, blame you. <laughs> yeah, especially nowadays. Um, my brother, he was in the Marine Corps, and he got out of the Marine Corps, and he moved to Phoenix, and he told me, he's like, hey, it's great out here. We can have guns. We can hunt. And so I came out and, and lived with him for a little while, and then um, I think I was 18. He was 22, and... Uh, you know, it was time for me to grow up, so I joined the Army. I did 11 years in the Army, went to Desert Storm. And after Desert Storm, I was a commo guy, so I, I did a lot of long-range radios. Uh, my MOS was 31 Charlie, and it was a single-channel radio operator. So we did HF radios talking hundreds and thousands of miles. And uh, it was pretty neat. It was, you know, pretty interesting, but I was never really into the, the hunting scene that much. And I got stationed in Germany, went to Desert Storm. And after Desert Storm, uh, our whole unit moved back to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I didn't have a job. So they deleted our, our MOS, and uh, I had to find something to do. So my sergeant major told me, you know, either work in the arms room, work as a postal clerk, uh, the general's driver. So I, uh, you know, my brother's been a, a very avid shooter and, and sort of a professional shooter. And uh, so I followed into his footsteps, and uh, I went to armor school. And uh, that's how I got my, my start is building rifles. So back to, uh, you said you were doing comms. Do you still do any comms type stuff now, like ham radio or anything like that? I, I don't. I just don't have the time. Gotcha. I, I think it's interesting and I'd love to get into the ham radio, but running 
specialized dynamics and I have 12 year old twins and then two older kids that are off and gone. Uh, I just, I just don't have the time to pick up another hobby. I can definitely understand that, especially the kids and the business and everything. Yeah, for sure. So what, when did you actually, what got you just, what made you decide to start specialized dynamics? Um, I worked for a couple smaller um, AR companies that were based here in Phoenix. Um, one was American Spirit Arms. Um, they're long gone now, now but uh, my brother used to shoot for them. So when I moved back to Arizona after I got out of the military, there was one guy in there and he was going crazy, answering phones, taking care of customers, trying to build. And I was just hanging out with my brother. He was picking up a rifle and uh, I asked the guy, I said, hey, you need help? And he's like, what do you know about building? So he threw me a lower parts kit and a lower and I built it faster than he could. So um, <laughs> they hired me on the spot. Then I worked for them for a couple of years. Uh, the owner had some health issues and then uh, another smaller company um, hired me to run their shop with a couple other guys. And then um, I was going to shoot the MGM Ironman three gun match in Idaho. And the night before I left, they had a big fire and ruined the whole building. And so uh, the owner, he, uh, he just had to close up shop. And I went to Idaho to shoot a, a three day match, not knowing my, what my future was. And so it gave me a lot of thinking and, I thought back then, and this was 2005, 2006, I figured people were coming to buy his rifles because I build them. And so my wife really talked me into, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you do this? And so in the meantime, I was thinking about it. I actually tried out for one of our police departments here and I made it and I was about to go to the academy. And, uh, you know, she's like, you know, you're going to work nights and weekends and you don't like to work nights. So you know, think about if you want to start the job or, you know, start your own thing. So I did, I started my own business, um, 2008 and, uh, my twins were born in 2009 and, uh, you know, the first few years, definitely challenging. And back then, um, probably that's when we probably first started talking or, or similar time frame. Um, we specialized in the six, five Grendel before we could call it six, five Grendel with Alexander arms having the, the right. rights of the name and we had to call it 264 LBC. And yep. six so we specialized six, yeah. CSS. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I, matter of fact, I still have a reamer that says six, five CSS. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's, it's in one of my toolboxes, but yeah, so we, we did that for a long time and I still love that cartridge. My license plate on my truck says SD six, five G. Nice. So uh, I still use it quite a bit, but there's, there's a lot better rounds, especially for the night hunter, you know, I think the Grendel is a great round, but it, it, and it's got a lot of energy, but it just doesn't have the speed that the night hunters are looking for. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. Now, when you sure. were working in the armory or an armor in the army, what kind of stuff did you do there? Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't what they call level two stuff. It was more, more maintenance. yeah, more maintenance, uh, changing out gas rings, just little things, you know, checking headspace. Uh, you can take off a barrel now and then, but you wouldn't you wouldn't take it down completely. Uh, they had a shop that did that level of maintenance. So, did you primarily work on the M16 or M4 platform, or did you work on other platforms as well? No, just the M16. We we had M16A1s and A2s, and okay. we didn't quite get the M4s. There were transitioning M4s when I got out of the military in '98 in, in the unit I was with. Okay. So now everyone likes to brag. Oh, my rifle's mil spec. What's your opinion of mil spec? <laughs> mil spec is the, uh, I like the mil spec aspect of it since everything uh, is the same. For commonality. Like, like yeah, the commonality, the, the buffer tubes, you know, is great. But mil spec is, uh, 
the cheapest guy um, <laughs> out there. And, you know, it, it, our stuff's better than mill spec is, is what I tell people. Right. And if I remember right, isn't mill spec accuracy requirements for the military is what, like three MOA? Yep. Yeah. So, it is. yeah. And, and, you know, that's one thing about the platform itself that has evolved over the years is has gotten so much better that unless you're buying, you know, economy grade stuff, most of the stuff out there will shoot better than 3.0 MOA with decent ammo. Absolutely. And with technology, with machining, um, most things could shoot one MOA or better. Yeah. Uh, even, even, I mean, I hate to mention people's names cause I'm not here to bash anybody, but uh, Bear Creek Arsenal, they put out hundreds of thousands of, I know, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I feel the same way, right. but I've had, I've had some customers bring their barrels in and they would shoot, you know, under an inch. So even uh, mass produced barrels with, they're not even, some of them aren't even headspace correctly that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the machinery and the technology today with the CNC lathes, they're, um, they're putting out some good barrels. And, and so people like uh, White Oak Armament and some of the higher end customers, Krieger and, and Bartline and Schillen, all those guys, all their barrels are just shoot lights out. Another thing too that is advanced on the platform is the reliability. I know when I first got into ARs back in the day and some of the old timers in my hunting group seen me come into camp with an AR, they're like, oh, that piece of junk, you'd be lucky if you can get more than one shot out of it, blah, blah, blah. They were Vietnam era vets, you know, some of them, and they hated the platform. Right. And now, I mean, one of them, I handed him my rifle. I said, shoot this. Oh, I've shot those pieces of crap before. I said, no, shoot this one. He shot it. He says, well, that nice trigger and nice this, yeah. nice that, you know, it was a complete, almost a completely different um, platform than what he was used to from back in Vietnam. Um, would you say you attribute that to just the modern manufacturing capabilities and technology? So. Yeah, for sure. Especially like the trigger, you know, oh, yeah. in the army, we had the GI triggers that are seven pound poles, six pound right. poles, and gritty. some of them even oh. more very gritty, um, a lot of over travel, a lot of slop in them. Um, and now like we use pretty much, um, Timney triggers on all of our platforms, unless somebody requests otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use trigger techs and Geisley's and some of the other higher end, um, triggers. And I think that's the barrel on that trigger, I think is what makes your AR. Yeah, I really do. Oh, yeah. um, you know, of course, free floating helps, um, having as little slop as possible between your upper and lower helps. Um, you know, they have recoil springs now that that are designed just to shoot with suppressed rifles and some of the higher pressure cartridges of uh, just a perfect example. And you shoot one of them as a 260 mm-hmm. and a 243. Those are just inherently overgassed and overpressured. And now they have uh, buffers and springs that'll, that'll negate that. So really? that's, uh, yeah. Who's making those? Um, so I just started using the spring co springs and they're the orange colored ones okay and then uh we did some a lot of testing with the kinshot guys and they're out of new york and they sent us um a couple hydraulic buffers stuff yeah no i am (laughs) i was shocked to find out they were from new york but they sent us some hydraulic buffers and we gave them some recommendations and they tuned it uh i think put a little bit more dampening in it and so they came out with one um and they call it their uh I, I have one in a box over here, but it's a, uh, it's a high pressure one just for shooting suppressed. Okay. And especially those higher, higher pressurized cartridges. Okay. Did you happen to see the TV show 
Um, it was on YouTube and it's also on a network called the American something network, a show called surviving man. I haven't. Okay. Well, it was a reality competition, um, where they brought in shooters from all different stages, comp- competitive shooters, hunters, uh, military guys, all that. And they sent them through this thing. Basically it looked like it took place out of gunsight Academy okay. and it was hosted by a guy named Jake Mann, who is a, uh, special forces vet. And uh, Randy Couture was also a co-host on that. But I remember during one of the segments, and you mentioned buffers, and it uh, brought it to mind, is Mikulik now has a magnetic buffer that he's come out with. Have you had a chance to check that out at all? I, I did. I did. Uh, one of our friends that um, comes in the shop a lot, and he's a sort of a professional shooter. He works in an industry, and he bought one. So to get one of those buffers, you have to join sort of their club. And only their club members could buy one. <laughs> okay. So that's why I'm not, I don't have one personally, but I got to try one and it was pretty good. Uh, was it? it really was. Uh, Jerry Mikulik, he is the, uh, of course, he's the fastest shooter known to man, but he's the most humble guy in the world. Um, I, I almost had a chance to meet him at SHOT Show two years ago. He walked through as I was standing there in line. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but um, I did see him once. <laughs> yeah, he's he is super humble. He's got that real slow Louisiana draw mm-hmm. and we were shooting a match one day and uh, I was shooting, they call it the super squad and all the professional shooters like Rob Latham and um, you know, all the other guys. And so I was, they did it alphabetical. So I was right after the Rob Latham and I was right before my brother. And it was, uh, it was a humbling experience for me, but Jerry Micklick was there and I was like, Oh, Jerry, you're going to beat us all again today. And he's like, Oh, you know, if the wind's right, right. I'm not moving as fast as I used to. And just super humble guy. He'll, he'll never pat himself on the back. I I really enjoy watching his videos on YouTube and stuff like that. I'll just go out there sometimes and just go through a bunch of his videos and watch them. And it's the same thing. I mean, the guy is phenomenal, but you know, like you said, you talk to him or you listen to him and he's humble. He doesn't talk about himself. He has fun with what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I enjoy about watching him. I haven't watched his daughter as much. I still follow her on, you know, social media and all that. Yep. I know she's doing really well, too. Be kind of a cool family to be in, really. Yeah, and his wife's a good shooter, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, their whole family down there, they got a whole range down there on their property, and I seen him shoot that 1,000 yards with one of his revolvers, and I was just in awe. Was that 44 mag? I, I think it was, but I'm not 100% sure. I just, I remember seeing him shoot a revolver at a thousand yards. Okay. Hit a I, balloon. Yeah, that was impressive. Uh, who else? There's another guy that did that too. Bob London, London. Okay. Yeah. Didn't he do that? He shot like a balloon at like 600 yards or something like that with a 44 mag. And yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It, you yeah. Know, that, that always kind of cracks me up and talking about technical things. One thing you, I don't see it as much as I used to but you still see people out there that say, oh, you have to have a long barrel to be accurate. Yeah. And I don't believe that's true at all. And, it's, and it's not. Right. I, I've done a test where we cut a barrel. We had a 24-inch barrel. We cut two inches off of it. And I've seen this on a YouTube channel, so I'm not taking credit for it. Mm-hmm. But we cut it at 22. We cut it at 20. We cut it at 18, 16, and all the way down to 14 and a half. And we checked the velocity. And you lose a lot of velocity right. from 24 to 14 and a half but the accuracy at hundred yards was almost identical. Mm-hmm. So I get that a lot with customers that they want the longest barrel because they want the most accurate gun. And it's not it right. helps and, in your velocity, but it doesn't help in terms of accuracy. And 
I there's a one of my local gun clubs here is the home of Mich Michigan Bench Rest Shooters Association, and they have I don't know I think they're up to thirty or forty benches, and they host the MBRSA shoots and all that out there. And one thing I've learned from watching those guys, a lot of them actually prefer a shorter, stiffer barrel. Yeah, it doesn't whip as much. Right. Each barrel does that whipping motion, um, no matter what length it is. But the longer ones whip more and Sometimes you got to tune your loads more so for a longer barrel. Right. And so not, nowadays on a lot of the precision rifle guys, they're putting these tuners on their end of their barrel so they don't have to do as much load development. It has a little weight on it. Yep. Turn it every you know quarter inch or so until you get tighter groups. Yep. Pretty there, neat. There's a guy at my club now, uh, my other club I'm a member now, they do a lot of 22 shoots and they'll shoot 22s out to 200 yards. Yeah. And one of the guys there, that's what he's doing is he's installing those tuners on these guys' barrels and that's how they adjust and tweak them in for their matches out there. Of course, a lot of those guys are shooting, you know, custom 22s or and shoots or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, those guys have more into a 22 than I have into my larger caliber stuff. We have a, we have a big, uh, big long range precision rifle. Um, club here and they do a lot of the nrl 22 stuff and same way i i just can't drop that kind of money on a 22 i, I just either. i have a little lever action that's all i have right now you're in arizona correct yes yeah okay what part of arizona like south north east west? yeah we're sort of central so we're just right outside of phoenix okay and phoenix has really grown so much in the last 20 years it's uh it's about the same size as houston now it's they go back and forth between the fourth and fifth largest city in the country now oh, wow and uh, I live on the southeast portion of Phoenix, uh, a little town called Chandler. And I shouldn't say a little town. We're the fourth largest city in the state. Uh, we got probably 400,000 people in our city. Mm. And uh, my brother lives in Goodyear, which is 70 miles due west of me. And I got to go through the city. And it takes me over an hour to get to my brother. And that's still considered, you know, Phoenix metro area. Oh, wow. It's really grown a lot. We have... Uh, Almost five million people in Phoenix now. Wow. Yeah. I don't like big cities, so I'm happy. Yeah. My, little my wife. I my wife has five more years, and then she could retire. We can get out of here. Have plans of where you're gonna go? No, we're still looking. Yeah. I got I got a lot of friends. I mean, definitely Colorado, Wyoming, oh, nice. Montana, North Dakota. Like to live somewhere still out west, but uh, I like the four seasons. I like it when it snows, and uh, she likes to leaves changing colors and all that so right. that's one thing i miss about you know the midwest is is having the four seasons yeah down where you're at it goes straight from green to brown if you even have any yes. green doesn't it yes absolutely <laughs> all the right. golf courses now we have a lot of them are, are all turning brown right now yeah that's one thing that's nice about up here in michigan is right now a lot of places the colors are getting peak and it's beautiful you get a good sunny day which we haven't had many of lately and it's just beautiful um so what types of shooting have you done? It sounds like maybe you did a little three gun, a little bit long range. Yeah. So I first started out doing a lot of pistol stuff. So okay. I did IDPA, USPSA. I got really big into that. Um, and then we transitioned into the three gun, which is a lot of fun because then you get to use your AR. Mm -hmm. I just hated reloading that shotgun. Um, I, I used to have a Benelli M1 Super 90. Okay. And I was in Idaho at that MGM three gun match and I tore my thumbnail off because we were reloading so much and it just oh. kept wearing down on that on the follow you know on the lift gate yeah and i tore my thumbnail off and i just i hate using shotguns now but right. uh and after that we transitioned i started our long range precision uh club here um 07 06 07 
Um, and then when my wife got sick and my kids were born, I gave it over to my brother and my brother and sister-in-law and a couple of good friends run the club now and it's bigger than ever. They've done a great job. And, you know, for 25 years, besides doing the, the shooting, I always wanted to coyote hunt. Mm-hmm. And so that's how sort of the business came about. I wanted to be in the firearms business. Plus my passion was going out coyote hunting out here. And you would think that I'd, I'd hunt in the desert a lot, but I don't. If you, yeah, I know. <laughs> I see your surprise look. Um, yeah. So if you cut Arizona in half, the lower half is, is more desert. Okay. The upper half is all mountains. We have more mountains than Montana and Idaho. So we, it, the whole northern portion of the state is uh, transitions into junipers and, and the scrub oaks, and then it goes into the pine trees. So we have a lot of mountains. And I like to hunt in the, in the juniper and the scrub oak, yellow grass, rolling hills. That's where I do most of my hunting. It's about at least a two-hour drive from Phoenix. What kind of elevation do you get in those mountains? I mean... Uh, we have some peaks uh, up in Flagstaff that are over, I think, um, 12,000 feet. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's it's proper mountains. Um, Flagstaff, I think, sits at 7,800 feet. Or, yeah, somewhere between seven and 8,000 feet is Flagstaff, and then mountains outside of there. Um, I usually hunt in about the 6,000 feet range. That's my main hunting area is right around there. Okay. So um, when you were shooting uh, IDPA or USPSA, what was your preferred handgun for that? I have, I've, I've switched a lot. So I'm a 1911 fan. Mm-hmm. So USPSA, I always shot the single stack category, but my very first handgun was a CZ 75. Oh, nice. And then uh, a local gunsmith, good friend of mine, tricked it out with a single stage trigger and hammer and sear. So my trigger is probably about one pound on that CZ. It sits in the safe now and shoot it very much. And then you, know, we all doing three gun. We we all use Glocks and uh, 2011s. I had several STIs before, um, very nice guns, but not practical for me anymore since I don't shoot very much. So did you ever shoot heavy metal class? I did. I did. What did you use for heavy metal then? That um, I use a, yeah, sometimes I use a, a 1911 or a Glock 21, 45. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't use a 308 style AR, I would use an M1A. That's one of my favorite rifles. Really? Yeah, man's gun there. Yeah, it is heavy sucker. Uh, <laughs> I had a I had a loaded one, so super accurate with stainless steel barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, in the heavy metal, we had used the uh, pump shotguns, and right. I always ran a, a Remington eight seventy. I have a couple Wingmasters. Okay, nice. I shot a three gun up here at one of the ranges for like two three years. We'd go to matches pretty often. I ran heavy metal twice. I used the Fal for heavy metal. Oh, nice. So I ran that and then my 1911 and then 12 gauge 870. And I did that a couple of times. I remember one time I went there, there's only one other guy in heavy metal and he was shooting a PTR 91 and he had so many malfunctions that wasn't even funny. And the funny thing about it was he was wearing a Jersey with all the sponsors on it. Oh, the boy. biggest sponsor on the back was a gunsmithing company and his gun was jamming all the time. I'm like, Hey, want to use my foul? He's like, no, I'm good. I'll get through this. <laughs> I used to set me for about a year. Uh, I've, and, you know, I've had a couple of those around. I've never really held on to one, but I kind of wish I would have. And I wish I still had one. I've always thought about trying to build one, but the whole welding thing, just, I'm, I, I don't have the capability or the knowledge and it's it kind of kept me from building my own, but um, I, I still have mags for one. So I should have one, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I probably have 10 or 12 mags for them, but I sold mine off several years ago too 
Yeah, and they used to be shoot, you could pick one of those up for what, like three, four hundred bucks back oh, yeah. in the day. And then yeah, we did we did a big group buy. Um, I'm friends with a lot of guys at Dylan Precision, mm-hmm. and uh, they bought ten of them, and I got the tenth one, so I got last pick. But I think I got the best one. It was the most <laughs> accurate of of the bunch. So luck well, of the draw there. Let's go into a technical question for you, and for anybody that doesn't know out there, the H and K Satmes. Um, and I think there might be one or two other companies out there use a fluted chamber. I know LaRue had a fluted chamber. It does have a fluted chamber on some of their guns. What's your opinion of using the fluted chamber? Now, from what I understand, it's mainly to increase reliability, correct? Yes. So POF, and they're here in town. Uh, they're on the north side of Phoenix. They use a fluted a chamber. Yeah. Um, our good friend Frank DeSoma passed away a year and a half ago. He got into a car wreck. Uh, he was the owner. Now his wife and his son run the company. Great family. I, I can't say anything bad about that company. They're, they're such great people, but they use a fluted chamber now. And I talked to Frank before he passed, and, and that's what he said. He said, it increases the reliability. It helps with the overpressureness of the AR-10 style um, cartridges. I just, I guess I'm more reluctant and a little bit of a skeptic. Um, I think that's a fix to a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah. But, you know, I, I could be wrong, too. I'm, I, I don't have a lot of research into that. I had a, a, a LaRue barrel that I played around with for a while, and I ended up getting rid of it, and I gave it to a buddy of mine, Randy Booty. I actually traded him that barrel for a 204 barrel, and that one had the fluted chamber in it. And then uh, I know some people talk about whether or not you can reload that brass. And like I said, I have had set me's before, and I shot them, and I reloaded that brass. It didn't give me any issues. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of the, of the fluted barrel, why you wouldn't be able to reload. Um, uh, if you get some high pressure rounds in there, you can actually feel ridges on your brass after it's. Oh, been. okay. But yeah. I think if you have a good sizing die, you lube it up good, you run it through there. And as I haven't seen it cause any trouble. Yeah, I, I used to reload for my set me all the time. And so, but I didn't run super heavy loads either. Right. Um, so have you ever played around with building your own 1911? I did. Um, fitting them and is a is a chore in itself. Yes, and it is. so it's so time consuming. And especially the last probably five years, there's just I haven't had any time to do anything like that. So um, we have so many good gunsmiths here in town. Uh, Phoenix is sort of the hotbed of, of some of the professional shooters. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted another one, I'd, I'd probably have somebody else make it. I ended up building one, um, still have it, still love it. That one was when Sig Sauer first started introducing their 1911s. They were actually having the frames and slides made by Caspian. Okay. So then Sig brought it in-house, started doing it themselves, while all of a sudden Caspian had a whole bunch of their components, and they offered them up for sale as a recon kit. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, external extractor, rail, looking at the features and I called the salesman. I'm like, um, are these from the SIG, you know, 1911s? And he says, I can't say that they are. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. So yeah. I got, I got one of the kits there, came with a storm Lake barrel and bushing and all that. And then I handpicked the rest of the components, put together, fitted it. And I mean, it was definitely, like you said, it took a lot of time. It was a good learning thing. I picked up, I think half a dozen books on it and videos on it to watch how to do it and everything. But I tell you what, that's been a great gun. And like I said, I used it in three gun, used it in IDPA, IPSC. Um, 
still have it, still love it. It's just a brick to carry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, either you love 1911s or you hate them. <laughs> right. And, and I love shooting them. I don't, I, I don't carry one. Right. You know, I, I probably carry my two carry guns is a Glock 48 and a Glock 45. Okay. With the 45 is the, the 19 slide with the 17 frame. Okay. And then the 48 is the single stack one, sort of like the 43. Okay. A that's what I carry every day. I usually carry a 19 personally. Um, yeah. Then in the summertime, if I'm wearing shorts and something light, I'll actually throw something like a Caltech in my pocket. Yeah. And then in the in the winter time, if I'm not carrying my G19, I have a G22, or occasionally I will carry the 45, mainly if I'm out hunting or something. But I got a on that G22, I carry that sometimes when we're going up where there's possibility of bear. Um, I got a 357 SIG conversion barrel for that. Yep. And I tell you what, that 357 SIG's pretty snappy. You ever shot one? Yes, I, I used to carry one. There, um, it's pretty snappy. And then figure, you know, on a full size G22, you got 17 or 15 rounds of that in the mag. That's the only the only caliber that we did a test on it shooting it through Lexan. Mm-hmm. So my brother was the retail manager over at Dillon for a long time before he became a police officer. 15, 16 years ago, and there was a bank being built next to Dylan. They had a big piece of three-inch Lexan left over, and uh, it's like, hey, you guys throwing that out? They're like, yeah, you know, we cut it wrong, so we grabbed it, and we took every gun in both of our saves out there to see which one would zip through it, uh-huh. and all the handguns, the most impressive was a 10-millimeter. Okay. The second one was just behind the 10-millimeter was that 357 SIG. Really? It went through all the way and bubbled the back of the the Lexan. I'm kind of surprised the 10 millimeter did that well. Yeah, I was surprised too. I thought I mean, it would be too slow. And, and but, most of the time, the bullets for those are truncated cone or hollow point. I mean, and you'd think that smacking would really make it shed its velocity and energy really fast. Yeah, we shot a, a 45 at it and man, knock on wood, it hit and it came right back and went between the two of us. Oh, really? Yeah. That's not good. No. <laughs> So we took a little step further back and that was the only one that did it. Nine mil penetrated a little bit. All the rifle rounds went right through it. Sure. Two, two, three, 308. I mean, we even did 300 win mag, but didn't need to because we knew the 308 went through it. But, but it, we tested, we tested a lot that day. I always think it's a lot of fun to test ammo and guns on different media. I mean, I've shot steel plates, jugs of water, soaked phone books, newspapers, clay, um, all sorts of different stuff. I, I found a bunch of lead. I shot lead one time to see what it would do. I remember I did a test. I wanted to see what 223 versus like Wolf 762 by 39 would do to like thick lead. And it was yeah. actually pretty surprising the hole you got on the back side of it from oh. both of them. But, you know, it, it's fun to shoot different stuff. It um, is. You remember the box of truth? Yes. Is that guy still around anymore? Do you know? I don't. I, he used to, if it's still out there, if any of the, anybody listen wants to look it up, I bet you can still find it out there. It's called the box of truth. And I think it first started with him trying to show how rounds did through like substrate of like, say a house, like a wall construction. And he did water jugs and then he started branching oh. off into all this other stuff. And it's actually really cool information to watch if you get a chance. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up on YouTube after after we get off tonight. I remember he did um I think he did some like Mythbusters type ones too, where he's shooting like padlocks because you always see people in the movie shoot a padlock off. And if I remember right, that didn't work so well. 
usually doesn't. Um, my hunting partner and I, um, we got locked into a place once and it was public land, but you had access through a private gate and they'd locked us in and it was getting dark and nobody was around. So we had to shoot a padlock off once and it took several rounds. You don't shoot it in the middle. Right. And, and the 6.5 Grendel got it off. Oh, nice. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about specialized dynamics. Right sure. now, if you look at your website, which is sdrifles.com, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. You have two main rifles that you have on there, correct? Yes. Uh, what, what? Tell us a little bit about those rifles, what the difference is between the two and... Absolutely. So the, the first one is the MFR. Um, that's our very first model. We call it the multifunction rifle. So if you wanted to hunt with it, um, home protection, even shooting some matches with it, um, it, it's a good rifle to do all that. So that's our 223 platform with the 65 Grendel, 223, 68, 22 Nosler, and all the other ones, and 204. And then we have the Spade, which is the same concept, but in the large frame. So the 308s, the 243s, the 65 Creedmoors. We've been selling a lot of six Creedmoors lately, mm -hmm. um, which become one of my favorite rounds for predator hunting. Um, and then hopefully next week or in a couple of weeks, uh, my web guys on vacation. We just introduced two more models, which is the uh, the one that we're doing a raffle for now is what we call the the large frame one, the Chaos, and that has um, our lightweight receiver set carbon fiber barrel, carbon fiber stock, and carbon fiber handguard. And it's about a seven pound rifle for an AR-10. And right. then the 223 version of that is called the NYX, the NYX, the you know, Greek mythology type stuff. I was, uh, that was one of my favorite subjects. So I, I look at some of that where I get those names from. Uh -huh. So we, we only have two models for each of the, the small frame and the large frame and everything else is custom. And uh -huh. so on the website, as you probably saw, um, you can customize the, the rifle. You can pick what trigger you want, what stock you want, what handguard you want, um, pistol grip, different colors, um, different rails. We have 15-inch uh, 15 M-locks and 16 and a half that we have made for us, um, but we could do anything. We've done Seekins, we've done Geisleys, we've done um, JL Billets. That was a, a pretty popular one the last couple of years. Um, so one of the premises of the business when I first started it was I wanted to build a rifle that you wanted, not that I wanted and not that Bushmaster wanted and nothing wrong with Bushmaster, but I bought a Bushmaster and I took the hangout off. I took the stock off and I put a better yeah. trigger on. Then you got a pile of parts just laying there. You can't do nothing with nobody wants to buy your plastic hangouts. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that was the whole premise behind the business when I first started it uh, 12, 13 years ago. Um, you know, build a rifle that you want. So now the MFR, what is your price for an MFR right now? Uh, it starts at $14.99 and that comes with a Timney impact trigger, uh, Ergo Deluxe grip, our billet upper and lower receiver that are, it's made uh, for us here in town, uh, 15 inch M-lock rail, uh, match grade uh, stainless steel barrel, adjustable gas block, a thread protector and a buttstock that uh, the on MFR, it's the Magpul SL. Okay. And then the Spade? And very similar, same components, adjustable gas block, um, stainless steel match grade barrel, billet upper and lower, the Timney impact trigger. The stock is the uh, ACSL from Magpul. It's a little bit bigger, matches that, that receiver 
set a little bit bigger and um we use a heavy buffer in all of our ar10s mm -hmm. so that comes standard now okay and um, what's the price on the spade 18.99 okay i know i've seen several of them over here in michigan uh, i know of at least three or four guys local to me that have picked up your rifles i've been able to handle a few of them now you have a new receiver set that you're starting to use um i just got one in for one of my customers here and yeah, you have to take yep. a look at that and i that's a sharp looking receiver it, it is guys... i'm actually i have one if i move the camera I, I have one in my bench right now um that i'm building a, a 243 but it's it's um it's not a mil spec there's no mil spec on ar10 style right. but it has more of an armalite cut on it so it's proprietary for this upper and lower because we have sets made and they're they're dedicated sets they're not just pull one off the shelf, pull another one off the shelf. They're dedicated sets, and um, they have the ambi bolt release on the right-hand side. Uh, we don't use any roll pins anymore, so everything's uh, a threaded set screw. Nice. Uh, and it's skeletonized. So that, that's the receiver set that we use with the Nix and the, the Chaos. Okay. Now, here's a technical question, because I've, I've gotten this question quite a bit before. Forged versus billet. Is there one that's better than the other? And if so, why? Um, I don't know if it's better. Forge is 7075. Most billet um, is 6061. We use 7075 on our billet. So the forgings, um, they're stronger, but if they fail, if catastrophic fails, they're going to explode. They're going to crack and their parts could come off and fly off. Okay. With a billet, it's uh, cut from one piece of aluminum right. and it'll bend or crack, but it won't explode. Okay, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it, it's not one's not better than the other. Um, there's people out there that only have billets and they look at forge as cheap, um, but really a forge upper and lower compared to a billet, it just houses the rest of the parts. It right. doesn't do any functionality. Doesn't do any. A lot accuracy. of it's a lot of it's aesthetics too. Yeah, absolutely, and and we use all billet. But there's nothing wrong with forge stuff. It's just owning a business. I worry about if somebody puts a 300 blackout in a 223, right? And if it has a catastrophic failure, the billet will bend and bulge instead of cracking, fracturing Turning into a grenade. Yeah. Right. So that's that's mainly the reason why we use billet is just for the safety factor. So do you warranty your rifles that you sell? Yes, uh, we 100% lifetime warranty. Um, not even just to the original owner. If you bought a rifle from somebody else. Uh, we try to help everybody out. Uh, knock on wood that we don't get very many warranty claims, but there, there are some. Um, most times, thing. yeah, it, it's just, it happens. It's a mechanical tool. Yep. Probably the biggest thing that we get is people don't know how to adjust their gas block, mm -hmm. uh, especially when they put a suppressor on it, because we test fire them without them suppressed. Right. And the reason being, even if I know that you're shooting suppressed, your suppressor, which I know what, you, what suppressor you use, you use a really good one that doesn't have a lot of back pressure compared to one of my older ones, which is a tactical solutions and it has a ton of back pressure. Right. So if I set up the gun to my suppressor, it might not work with yours. Right. So that's why we, we test fire everything non-suppressed. Now, do you, uh, do you have an accuracy guarantee on your rifles? Yeah, we do. We, we guarantee three quarter inch or better um, with factory ammo. Um, typically we're getting around about half inch and the reason why we don't say half inch guarantee is everybody's a different type of shooter, right. different type of ammo. Um, some people shoot off a tripod, some people shoot in a steady rest, some, you know, so that's the only reason why we don't guarantee any 
better than that, but we typically see about half inch groups. So do you still warranty if someone is using hand loads? Uh, I try to talk to them and, and get the information. And if they're still having problems with it, with their hand loads, I request them to send their hand loads to me okay. so I could test it here locally. There's a lot of times people who hand load. That's scary. That don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> yes. um, and, and, and no disrespect to anybody. Right. With ammo prices and availability, and somebody might use their buddy's press, a lot of people don't use a like a headspace comparator. Right. Like I had one guy, and, and again, not to be disrespectful to anybody, but he sent the rifle back because he put a live round in, he couldn't get it out. And I said, well, automatically, I think it's hand load because we test fire everything before it goes out the door with factory ammo. And he said, nope, it's, uh, it's mil spec, you know, it's, it's Sammy spec ammo. So I had him send me a bunch of it and he didn't push his shoulder back after he fired the first rounds out of it. And that's what was getting stuck. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, everybody knows the term mortaring your gun. Yep. So I, that's what I do. He sent me a gun with a live round in the chamber through the, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> for anybody listening, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. The, the uh, uh, shipping services, all of them really frown on that. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we got it out and we tested, you know, we measured his, his ammo. I've been reloading for 20 years. Um, so, of course, I pulled all the right tools and, and noticed that his, his shoulder isn't pushed back far enough. I, I call him, I tell him that. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll post a little video or a little, um, you know, a blurb on Facebook or Instagram and, and try to reiterate that, you know, mm -hmm. um, if you're reloading, make sure you're doing it right. Right. Um, so now you've been running this business for a while. You mentioned earlier you really like coyote hunting, um, but you also do some other hunting as well, right? I do. I do some big game hunting um, with rifle and with um, archery equipment. Okay. Uh, my favorite way to hunt is, is archery. Um, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to rethink that. But uh, <laughs> I got a, a nice bull elk uh, three years ago. Yep. I think I remember uh, you Arizona. and Dominic went out there, didn't you? Yep. Yep. And then that same year, I got a nice antelope in New Mexico. And the year before that, I got an antelope. And I use my rifles for that. One of them I shot with a 6.5 by 47, which sort of was my match gun. Mm -hmm. And then the second year I shot one with a 6.5 Rendell at 280 yards. Nice. So um, antelope meat's really good. Oh, it is. Uh, especially um, if it's eating yellow grass. We just, uh, I got my first antelope, I think it was two years ago now, three years ago. We went out to Wyoming uh, for mule deer and antelope. And we were successful on both tags. And um, I talked about it a little bit before, but out there when the tags we had were trying to remember what the exact term for it was, but they were um, special tags that had to be used within a mile and a half of irrigated ground. Oh, and for those tags, they would send you a list of landowners that want you to come shoot them off their farms, basically. So, but animals that we shot had been eaten off farm grass and fields. Yeah. So, I mean, it tasted very mild. It wasn't gamey like our venison here. I thought it was very mild. It was real lean. I thought it was quite good. The mule deer and the antelope both. I, I really enjoy antelope. I love elk meat. Uh, I'm not a big fan of deer meat, the venison, especially out here on, on the west, you know, part of the country. The mule deer don't taste quite as well as the whitetail, mm -hmm. um, but everybody has their own pellet. And, and, right. Well, that's, know. you know, we just were successful on our bear hunt here. Um, it was uh, end of last month. Yeah, I remember seeing that. The uh, it's funny how many guys you run into just can't stand bear. 
And the first time I brought bear home, I did a roast in the crock pot with it and gave it to my wife, who was kind of lyric. She's not a huge fan of wild game anyway. She tried that uh-huh. and she's like, you can just shoot bear now, forget about deer. <laughs> she loves it. Yeah. Um, same thing with the burgers. Um, not a big fan. She wasn't a big fan of the steaks so much, but burgers and like a roast done well, she loved it. Um, That's great. Yeah. My wife's the same. She's a sort of city girl. I joke with her. Mine was um, too. She, and she wasn't really a fan of uh, wild game. And um, Dominic gave us some that he, uh, his boys, his boys are, way better hunters than he is he'll he'll probably you know not be too happy with me with that but his boys are really good hunters and uh they've killed probably almost a dozen elk since they were eight years old now they're 19 and 17 and uh you know i try to go out with them every year when they go out um you know it's a seven eight hour drive for me but we have such a good time um, mm-hmm. and they give us meat and then we did some in the crock pot and my wife loved it. And yep. when I brought home the antelope, she uses the Instapot now, yep. and, uh, you know, making some like antelope fajitas or uh, something in the crock pot, slow cooking it. She just loves it. Nice. So um, when you go out, let's say you're going out for medium sized game, antelope, deer, um, anything in that range, do you have a preferred rifle or cartridge that you like to use for that right now? Is it the same? Yeah. Well, right now I, I changed my rifle so much. Uh, Dominic makes fun of me so much because <laughs> every time we go hunting, I'll have a different caliber with me. Um, right now, probably my favorite caliber, uh, for hunting medium sized game would be a six creed more. Okay. I how like about, the ballistics of it. How about for coyotes? Um, <clears throat> six creed more is probably going to be my number one day gun. I like to use my little wildcat that I, that, that I created off that 22 nozzler. I call it the super six. Yep. Um, I like that round. That's what I took to North Dakota two weeks ago. Uh, we killed 13 coyotes up there. Um, and then of course the six, five Grendel. Now, if I remember right, you guys did some nighttime hunting too recently, right? We did. We went to Montana, uh, North Dakota night season doesn't open until after the deer season. Okay. Um, don't quote me, but November 15th, somewhere around there. Um, so we went over to uh, my buddy Blake's. His grandparents have some uh, property over there in, in uh, eastern part of Montana. So we went over there. And he's in uh, he's an agronomist. So he knows all the farmers. He sells seed to them and oh, okay. sells all the chemicals and uh, fertilizer and all that. So he gets to know all the, yeah, oh yeah, he does. (laughs) So he calls up and say, Hey, you know, I got a buddy coming from Arizona. Can we hunt on your land? And nobody, I don't think anybody's ever told him no, as long as it's, you know, not during pheasant season or deer season. Um, So we had a lot of land that we, we hunted in in Montana. Now, was that your first time using thermal? Um, For coyotes, uh, I went down to Texas 10 years ago, eight years ago and hunted with Glenn Guess. Okay. Uh, a lot of probably a lot of people know who Glenn is. He, he does a lot of hog hunting and he's sort of perfected calling in hogs down in North Texas. Okay. So I hunted with him and his wife with thermal. Um, and I think a couple of the EOTech guys were there. So we used their thermal. They're very high end military only thermal. Mm-hmm. It was just a blast. Um, nice. And sort of got a little funny story on that one. I know we're probably running short on time, but he only had a five round mag and he had a six eight. I built him. And uh, being my first time around thermal, he's like, okay, there's a big pig out there. And I'm like, I was thinking it was 100 yards or so, 120 yards. 
And I said, Hey, do I need to hold over? And he's like, no, it's only like 40 yards. Keep your <laughs> voice down. <clears throat> so I shot that big one and it was probably about a 220 pound hog. Um, and then they all scattered like they all do. And oh, then, you know, leading them and they're pretty close. And I shot one and it rolled. I shot another one and it rolled. The big one started getting up. So I put one in the back of its head and then another little one just scooted across and I got around it and I rolled that one too. And I was like, I was so proud of myself. So <laughs> right? we found, we found the, um, two little ones and the big one, and we couldn't find that third little one. So we brought the trucks up and we're looking looking. I shot an armadillo. Oh. <laughs> that was a so, little one that's screwing yeah up. <laughs> yeah so it was pretty neat I, I really enjoyed it uh dominic got to hunt with thermal and that's the year that we went down to waco uh texas and did the the um world predator contest and hog hunt expo okay that was a lot of fun that year it was um met a lot of people and we did we did you know it was probably a 12-hour drive for me but it was a lot of fun nice so going back to your cartridge preferences, if you were going to go for big game, let's say elk, um, do you have a preference for that? Um, I do, and, and it's in a bolt gun. Okay. Uh, I love the old school 300 Win Mag. I do too. Um, I, matter of fact, Dominic and I are building similar guns. Same gun. He's getting. He's doing a 28 Nosler, and I'm doing a 300 Win Mag. So I had a custom 300 Win Mag I sold because um, I wanted to build my own. And then um, I have a Savage <clears throat> Model 110, I believe, in 301 mag, just sitting in the back of my safe, uh, pre-AccuTrigger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a brake installed, so it's super loud. That's why I don't like going hunting with it. So that's my that's my big game cartridge. If I want to shoot a moose or um, a bear, I, I, I've never been bear hunting, and I've always wanted. We have a lot of bears here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't know anything about it, and I'd like to go with somebody and see how they do it, and you know. I'm sure I can go in some of these canyons and spot and stalk, but uh, uh, we have a pretty generous bear season here. Nice. Um, now, I know for a while there you were offering bolt-action rifles. Are you not offering them anymore? Any plans? I'm not. Okay. Yeah, it depends on how things are. I mean, we're so busy, um, and knock on wood. I mean, I'd rather be busy, and, and I appreciate every single customer. Some of the barrels are taking a lot longer to get than others. Um, but, but right now I have three employees and we are 70 hours a week building ARs. Oh, wow. Um, even the black ones, we paint them. Uh, I believe in good aesthetics. Mm-hmm. We paint all of our stainless barrels just to prevent from surface rust. Even though it's a stainless barrel, it still gets surface rust, which a lot of people don't understand, especially those guys down in the Southeast. I remember getting phone call after phone call saying, Hey, I got some rust on my barrel underneath the hangar. What do I do? So trying to eliminate that and trying to make it look even better. So we paint all of our barrels. Um, so we got, you know, one guy doing, um, and I know you haven't mentioned it yet, but we started doing our own carbon fiber barrels. Yeah. Um, we yeah, got, those look really sharp. Thank you. I appreciate it. We, we spent a lot of time. It's probably been a year now. We had a, a friend of ours down south doing our barrels for us and he did a great job but he's just so busy that we just couldn't get the amount of barrels that we needed so we bought the cnc winder we bought another lathe and i don't know if you follow my my feed lately but we had one of our lathes burn up on us i've seen that today and yeah and the um the company doesn't want to warranty it they've accused me three times of hooking up to the wrong voltage And I said, if I hooked up the wrong voltage, it would have blown up the first day. We've been running it for 60 days. And the 61st day, it 
the back panel caught fire. I think what happened was uh, my friend's an electrician, a certified electrician. He came and looked at it, and he thinks it was a loose wire. And with the vibration and lathe, that just uh, and I don't know anything about electricity, so you know that's why I call an expert. And so, anyways, I trying to work with him. I told him that I would buy a, a better, bigger model to upgrade and spend more money. And they just kept saying, nope, you, so finally on Monday or Tuesday, um, they said, we'll send you the parts for cost plus $150 shipping um, because you hooked it up to the wrong voltage. And I'm just like, this is the third time you're accusing me of that. <laughs> so I called my bank and I don't like to do this, but I called my bank because they wouldn't work with me. And uh, just told them the situation and my bank immediately refunded my money within an hour. Oh, wow. So it was good to work with my bank. And when I went looking for banks 10 years ago, um, I used to be with Chase and uh, I was the president of our, one of our shooting clubs here in town. And they had about three quarters of a million dollars in the bank. Chase bank called me up and said, come and get all your money. We don't want anything to do with gun companies. So they kicked my personal bank, my business account and the gun club account. And they wrote it all to me in my name instead of the gun club. <clears throat> Three quarters of a million dollars, and I was like, "Wow, Mexico is looking quite attractive." <laughs> yeah, but that but, seems to be an unfortunate trend. You hear more and more about like credit card processing companies, banks, and just businesses in general that don't want to deal with the firearms industry. And yeah, it's I've been through five credit card merchant companies and trying to run a, a customer's card, and it wouldn't go through. I call, and then out of the blue, they just cancel you because you're doing firearms. Yep. And so now we're with a company that specializes in firearms. It, it's about a half a percent more that we pay, but you don't have to deal with the, the liberalism, if you will, right. of, the, of the Chase Banks and the Banks of America. Mm -hmm. Kelly McMillan from McMillan Stocks, he just passed away this year, but um, he had such a hard time with Bank of America. He started his own merchant services. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. He did that about five, six years ago when it, it Bank of America called him up, did the same thing. They said, come get your money. We don't want you as a customer. Wow. And McMillan must be doing, and I don't know their finances, but I would say a couple million dollars a year. Oh, yeah, they're Easy. a big outfit and they've been yeah. around forever. Yeah, and they're here in Phoenix too. And they're okay. up on the north side of Phoenix. Wow. Um, so I don't know if you track it or not, but what would you say is your most popular selling caliber right now? Um, 22, 250. And then the 243, they're very close. They're probably within 10 rifles of each other throughout the year. Now, have you noticed that the 243 is gaining in popularity? I think it's think starting it's to fall a little bit. Oh, really? I yeah, um, I think it's been popular for so long. Um, and then I think a lot of people are going to the Six Creedmoor. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a big jump in Six Creedmoor sales this year. I think part of it is there's a lot of gun stores that have that on the shelf, and you can't find 243 anywhere. Right. I mean, I don't, I, I don't shoot a 243, um, but it's, I can't find it anywhere. Right. I mean, trying, trying to even find ammo for us to test fire is hard. Yep. I'm paying, you know, 40 bucks a box sometimes just to get it so I can test fire customer rifles. Um, the, um, I think part of it too, is you're starting to see, at least on social media, you're seeing a lot of people really talk up that six creed more. Um, I know one guy up here, Randy Booty, I think he has at least one or two of them now, and he's got to be where it's one of his more favorite cartridges. He really enjoys that cartridge a lot. I do too. Um, my first year going up to North, 
North Dakota, I took a, um, a six creed more and I loaded 95 grain burkers out of it and uh, the classic hunter. And most of the coyotes that I shot were within a hundred yards, like most of them are for out West here. Um, right about a hundred yards, probably average shot. And only one of them actually tore up the hide. Nice. The first two that we shot, it went in and didn't come out. So um, I really like that. That bullet for me, I, I prefer energy over speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a lot of people who prefer the opposite, but I like to use that heavier bullet for the six Creed. And that's the only reason why I don't use a 243. I, I don't want to go with like a seven twist or seven and a half twist and use those heavier bullets. Mm-hmm. So going, <clears throat> since you mentioned fur, do you uh, sell fur down there? We don't. Well, there's a couple people do. The Northern coyotes are worth probably about 25 or $30. Um, the desert coyotes aren't hard, hardly worth anything. Okay. They're such small coyotes. I bet you our average size coyote for the desert units are 20, 25 pounds. Okay. Um, and probably 30 pounds for the northern ones. Okay. And so when I went up to North Dakota and shot my first coyote, and it's 42 pounds. I was like, man, is this thing part wolf? And I know you guys got some big ones up there. <laughs> yep. Um, you guys have cats and fox too? Yeah, we do. So our bobcat and fox season opens up uh, August 31st through March 31st or August 1st through March 31st. So it's, it's season right now. And in Arizona, I find, uh, and, and, you know, it's such a big state coyotes tend to have one certain type of area where the Fox and the Bobcat prefer the rockier, uh, the, the washes and the heavy brush areas mm-hmm. where the coyotes are more in the, in more in the open, I'd say. Okay. Um, you guys have mountain lion out there. We do. We, we have quite a bit of mountain lion and our, our um, over-the-counter tag, I think it's only $15 for a resident. Really? Yeah. It's pretty How much cheap. is it for a non-resident? Um, <laughs> I want to say it's around the 350 area, but, but don't quote me. It's still not it's terrible. Cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's not bad. I think it would be awesome to call one of those in sometime. Uh, I, I've only seen one in a while. I've never shot one. Uh, it's one of my dreams to shoot a mountain lion. If I had to choose between a mountain lion and a wolf, I think I would choose a mountain lion. Oh, really? It's close, but uh, we have wolves here too. But of course, you know, no open season on them. And it's a different species too, isn't it? A red wolf? Yeah. It's a Mexican gray wolf. Mexican gray wolf. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I seen something else about a red wolf, but Mexican gray. How big are those, you'd think? Um, they probably still get up to about 100 pounds. Oh, really? So that's pretty good. 85 to 100 about pounds. what we have up here then. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fairly big. Uh, I called a couple in up in northern Arizona when I was hunting. I was going out to hunt with Dominic. Uh, he lives in New Mexico, and right at the border, I was calling because he was still at work. And uh, a big black wolf with an orange collar came in, and you know, I pulled up on it with my gun. I noticed the orange collar and how big it was. Of course, you know, put my gun down. I wish I had a camera at that time because I, I run the camera a lot nowadays, trying to get some better footage and start doing a little bit more YouTube stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful animals, that's for sure. I've called one in so far in here in Michigan. We've heard other ones, but I've actually only called one in, which is pretty funny because the guy I was with had just shot at a coyote. He was convinced he hit it. I wasn't. And I said, well, we'll keep calling and see if, you know, we get another one to come in. And uh, it was still daylight, so we decided we'd go down there and look for blood and hair, see if we could find his coyote. And I look across the field, and here comes, at first I thought it was another coyote. I tell him, hey, here comes another one. Well, it'd seen me, so it turned to start go down into the swamp, and I got on my hand call, started wailing away. It turned, and it came and stopped almost exactly where that coyote was he had just shot at. 
I got it in the scope and I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah, that ain't no coyote. And obviously he got to walk away. Now, do you guys have a season on those down there? We don't. No, they're they're restricted. I mean, they're, we can't hunt at all. Yeah, we had them. They just got taken off the protected list up here. They were under federal protection for Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. They just got that released. Wisconsin has had, I think they just started another season this fall. They had one spring, uh, one in the winter. I think they just had another season, but our DNR is dragging their feet and we haven't had a season yet. So I'm hoping to get an opportunity again, even if I have to travel to do it. I That's kind of a bucket list item for me. Sure. Yeah. We've had one hunt and I went up there. We spent, I think I spent about two weeks, two different time frames up there. Never seen one. We tracked some through the snow and I tell you what, I got short legs. I'm not a very big guy. My partner I was hunting with, his legs are probably about as tall as my whole body. And we're going on snowshoes and we tracked a pack of, I think it was four or five wolves for four miles. Wow. And I tell you what, that kicked my butt on snowshoes and that deep snow up there. Oh yeah. And you know, the, the thing is the wolves would get on the trails made by the snowmobiles and they would just, you know, wolves just cruise. They don't sure. stop much. And I, that just kicked my butt. We never did see them either, but it was a good time. I saw a lot of them when I was stationed up in Alaska. Oh, I bet. Doing um, a lot of snowshoeing and cross-country skiing there, and we see them all the time. My brother-in-law actually is living up there now, and he keeps, every now and then he'll send me messages. He said, man, you need to get up here and come hunting. He says, there's coyotes all over, wolves all over, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, but that's a long ways away, and it could be an expensive trip. Not that I wouldn't mind doing it, but have to plan for a while for that. Yeah, week. oh, definitely. I, I want to go back. My uh, oldest daughter still lives up there. Um, and it's a beautiful area. I mean, I, I love fishing just as much as I love hunting. So oh, one of these days I'm going to go back. Too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. That's all I did. And I wish I would have hunted more when I lived up there, but I fly fished all the time in the summertime up there. And did, did you, some ice when you were fly fishing, did you see bears on the river? I did. I did. That has to be a little nerve wracking. It is, especially <laughs> grizzlies. You, we were, uh, uh, we yeah. were hunting or we were fishing uh, a little creek. Um, about 100 miles north of Anchorage, it's called Montana Creek, and it's combat fishing. It's summertime; a lot of uh, you know tourists are there, but fishing. And usually, most people you get a fish on, they pull their lines out. But we were fishing, and one guy had a fish on, and this grizzly came out, and this little Yorkshire Terrier came the river edge, and and the the bear was just he was so calm. I mean, he he looked like a teddy bear, but we uh -huh. know better, you know. Yeah, and he's just catching these chum salmon. And he'd take a bite out of one and just try to catch another one. And this little dog kept going and that bear just had enough. His hackles came up and I left. And that lady, <laughs> luckily the lady grabbed the dog and went to the car. But then that bear just turned around, and went back in the willows. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Do you follow uh, Rick Pallet? Yeah. Yep. You see that bear he got? That's Holy cow, that thing bear. was a monster. Yeah. I'm still waiting to hear what he shot it with. You didn't hear, did you? I haven't. I, I just seen this picture last night with the bear on its back. Yeah. And him holding up the the, the that, paws and the claws. Impressive. That was a big bear. Very big. I'm, I'm kind of anxious to hear more details on that one. Yeah. But yeah, that's that was a, impressive. That's definitely a uh, a big rifle and not a, a bow. <laughs> right. <laughs> I tell you what, the guys that do that with a bow, though, I you know, even black bear, I, I really... I'm not that much of a bow hunter. I do bow hunt some, but the idea of shooting a bear with a bow just doesn't really appeal to me. And especially if you're talking like a grizzly or a brown or a Kodiak, 
ain't no way in hell I'm going to be shooting an arrow at that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I watch guys do it. You know, they up in Alaska or Canada, they basically stock up on them and shoot them at bow range. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but my pair just ain't that big. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. I, you know, if I if we baited black bears and I was up in a tree, maybe, but right, still, I I definitely want to have a sidearm on me. I mean, my first bear that I killed, I shot with a 4570. Oh, wow! I, I was on. We bait him up there. Uh, there's guys that run them with dogs, but I like the baiting aspect. And I didn't have a blind. I didn't. I was up in. I wasn't up in a tree. I was on the ground with my back against a pine tree, about 35 yards away from the bait. First time I had the bear come in, I looked at that bear, and the bear looked at me, and I'm sitting there in the open with a single shot 4570, and I'm, you know, just thinking, man, is this 4570 could be enough? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, the, and the worst thing was after the bear looked at me, which bears don't have very good eyesight, the bear circled me and went into the stuff where I couldn't even see it but I knew it was circling me. And, you know, of course I had my sidearm on me and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh great, this is going to get nasty. And eventually the bear, I, I don't know how far it went anything, but came back to the bait, opened up the bait and I made my shot and uh, the bear ran off. And um, I, you know, it was, of course, hearts just pounding adrenaline's going and everything. The worst sure. part was the bear ran off to where I had to walk out to get back to the side-by-side -side to get back to camp. But that bear ended up only going about 30, 35 yards. And um, I was I was not real impressed with the performance of that Hornady FTX round out of the oh, 4570. Uh, the core actually completely separated from the jacket, which I wanted to shoot that because I figured it'd be more, um, it'd hold together better than that. And it, it didn't. I mean, it killed the bear fine. But the funny thing about that was I was the guy with the biggest gun in camp. I had the 4570. We had one guy with a 308, one guy with a 6.5 Grendel. The 308 and the 6.5 Grendel, their bears dropped at the shot, never twitched, nothing. My bear, wow. biggest gun in camp, was the only one that ran. <laughs> so. well, Dominic's boys shot several elk with the 6.5 Grendel. Okay. The very first one they shot, and I was like, man, I don't know if that's enough gun. He's like, well, I think it is. We'll use the 123 AMAXs. Shot the cow right in the neck. It was a, it was a mature cow. Dropped wow. in her tracks. And didn't Spiner just the shock from it? Well, I think isn't that what um, uh, Mark Larue did early years so. of the six yeah. Grendel? He shot yeah. one of like four hundred and some yards with a Grendel and dropped it, if I remember right. Yeah, and and the boys have shot him up out to 300, 350 with the Grendel, and I'm just like, man, maybe a Creedmoor, but not a Grendel, <laughs> right? But, but I mean, those those kids are such good shots. Yeah, um, I, I think their dad should learn a little bit of shooting. That's that's one thing about. <laughs> I give Dominic a lot of uh, grief about he's uh he has fantastic eyes and he's a great caller. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of times he'll be like, Hey, there's a coyote out in front of you. And I, I don't see very well. And, uh, but he doesn't like to practice and he doesn't shoot very well. Uh -huh. So we make a pretty good team where he could call in a coyote and he could see it and get me on and I could shoot it. <laughs> nice teamwork. So, yeah. I have one question for you since we got you on here. What is your, best method or product to use to clean a chamber on an AR, either AR-10 or AR-15, specifically to get around the lugs? Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> so I use, there's there's a couple of things that I use. Um, I use KG Industries, all their cleaning products. I really like their carbon cleaner. I think it's called KG-1. Yep. Um, and Browning uses it 
but they market it as theirs. Okay. And there's a couple other companies that use it. So their, their carbon cleaner, I think, is one of the best on the market. Um, and then I use one of those little star um, the, patches. Like felt patches? Yeah. R-shaped? Yeah. Okay. I've been so thinking I about tire rolls. I haven't got them yet. And then I also have a nylon chamber brush. Yep. Montana Extreme? So I use Extreme that a lot. Or, uh, yes. Is it? Okay. That, I think it's Montana Extreme. And I put it on a drill. Yep. I go to town with it. And with the nylon brushes, even with a bore brush, you're not going to dam- damage your chamber. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yep. You're not going to damage your chamber or your board using a nylon brush. And that's why I use nylon instead of brass. Um, even though the brass is softer than the, the you know, the stainless, I just want to make sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of Q-tips, a lot of long Q-tips yep. if you can't get down in there. Get them at the doctor's I also have supply a, place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I have, uh, just right up here, I have a little dental pick oh, that right. I use. So I put a patch in and try to get in the crevices with the dental pick. And that's all that thing's up there for is the, the clean chambers. Um, but the KG, the KG products are, are really good. Um, one of the other uh, KG products that I use is the, um, I got it up here. It's a, it's a copper cleaner, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't turn your patch blue like everybody else's. So the owner of the company, his name is Joe Fazio, great friend of mine, one of my mentors in business. He doesn't use a, a ammonia. And so ammonia is what turns your patches blue. No it, sweets? Yeah, I know. I don't <laughs> like sweets. Never, I, didn't, I used to use a lot of hoppies too, but I don't use that anymore. Okay. Um, but so it won't turn your patch blue so a lot of people who are so used to you know the yeah, ones that we just said working well it's, it's ammonia and if you do that too much inside your barrel it actually pitch your barrel right and so you start pitting your barrel you can start losing a little bit of accuracy and eventually your barrel is going to be shot so i try not to use any ammonia ammonia products in in our guns okay so if someone has one of your rifles how often do you recommend a cleaning on them uh, I'm the worst person talking about cleaning because uh, <laughs> I don't usually clean mine until I lose accuracy. Okay. Uh, but when it's new, I tell people, even though they're hand lap barrels, uh, you don't need to shoot one, clean it, shoot one, unless that's what you're used to. Mm-hmm. I think building confidence is the key. And if you're used to cl- shooting one and cleaning one, do that 100%. Um, but I usually, I tell them, take it to the range. Uh, your first time, sight it in, do your load development, whatever you're doing. And then as soon as you get back from the range, clean it really good and do that for the first hundred rounds. And then what's your normal procedure is. I mean, right. some guys do it every hundred rounds. Some guys do it every range trip. Right. We're all different. We all have that different thought process. Yeah. I think the more you clean your gun and use those harsh chemicals, the more you're going to wear out your gun. Yeah. So, you know, I think I did a video a couple of years ago. I took my gun apart and I had a hose and I was hosing it down and cleaning it and people are like what are you doing I'm like, it's just water what right. we used to do in the army we'd go in the showers and we'd clean our guns that way with hot water yep um you know it's a stainless barrel there's nothing steel on the barrel to rust right i still do that with my black powder rifle that's the easiest yep. way to clean black powder yep. <laughs> i don't do it very often with ars but uh you know i was at home one day and i was bored so i just took it apart and i went out in the front yard started spraying it down and i posted that video up on facebook and people some people lost their mind and then how about lubrication? Do you recommend, um, I'm assuming you probably like the KG products for lubrication as well. Yeah, well, they, I think their oil's good. Okay. Um, I don't tell very many people this, but 
might as well let it out of the bag. I use synthetic motor oil, five weight 30. Okay. Or lubing my bolt carrier. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to lube your bolt carrier before you go out every time. I agree. Um, I like to use oil instead of a grease. Yep. Especially up where you guys are when it gets down to those negatives. Right. In the winter times, that grease will freeze. The oil won't, especially yeah. the synthetic stuff. Um, and when you lube your bolt, you don't have to squirt lube all over it. On the bolt carrier, as you know, just on the top and bottom rails, that's the only part that contacts your upper receiver. And just a little bit of lube goes a long way. Do you like to lube the lugs on the bolt? I don't. You don't? I, I, I don't. Um, like my brother's an armor and, and SWAT sniper, and he does. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of go back and forth a little bit on that. Um, I think if you do that, and if you get any lube inside the chamber or on the bolt face, it creates that pressure. Yeah. So I don't want any lube anywhere around there. Right. That's the reason why I don't. And of course, if you're shooting suppressed, you usually have to clean more. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I shoot. 99% suppressed. Hmm. I, I do as well now too, especially on all my ARs. I don't have any bolts that are suppressed, but on my ARs, um, probably half of them are suppressed now. And obviously with the OSS, you don't have to do quite as much cleaning, but with my Yankee Hill, that one usually every oh, yeah. time I take it out and clean it, my brass comes out and it looks like something completely different when I'm done. Yes. <laughs> it's it's almost like almost like it's corroded. Sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if you let yeah. it sit there long enough, it will be. Yes. <laughs> Leave it in the I, gun too long. That's how mine are. I have a tactical solutions 308 can, mm -hmm. and that's got a lot of pressure and all my stuff looks bad. And then the one that I usually use is a uh, suppressed armament systems. I have a barricade and it's a titanium can. And I love it, but it does have a little bit of back pressure. I'm looking into an OSS this year. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm looking at another OSS, hopefully, probably not this year, but next year. First, if I order it next year, it'll probably take me till 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Um, well, so if anyone wants to find out about you and your business, you're on Facebook as Specialized Dynamics. And of course, you as Scott Milkovich. And yep. then your website is, like I said before, sdrifles.com. Then you're also on Instagram, correct? Yes. Any other Instagram. platforms? Um, that's the main ones. Uh, once in a while, I, I got a wild here, and I was going to the Go Wild. Yep. Um, and I'm hit or miss over there, but I'm on Instagram and Facebook every day. Like our Instagram, sometimes I, I forget it's SD Custom Rifles on Instagram. Okay. And I try to cross post um, on both of those usually the same stuff. Sometimes the stories are a little bit different. And then Snapchat, I don't do a whole lot there, but I, I post quite a bit in our, oh, SD custom AR-15 in Snapchat. Okay. Um, I post a lot of our rifles there or a lot of the younger crowd, I guess, is there. So put a little bit more music to it and, and things like that. I, I've never tried Snapchat because of kind of like what you just said. It seemed like it was more of a kid's yeah. type thing, but I know a lot of people do do it. But the other one, to be honest with you, that I've just started watching now, and I'm surprised how much gun and hunting stuff and military stuff is on it, is TikTok. I've um, been seeing that a lot lately, too. Yeah, I was surprised how many military um guys and videos are, are on there and gun stuff too and hunting and all that it, it really kind of surprised me so i've been watching that one a little bit but i've never tried snapchat but so if anyone wants to find you out they can look up that your phone number i would assume is probably on there or email yep. contact absolutely scott at sdrifles.com and our phone number is 480-648-9223 and i'm pretty responsive i answer all the phones i, I do all the social media 
and I'm pretty open. Sometimes it, it gets me in trouble, but I'll answer the phone until nine o'clock at night. Usually if I'm is not it? doing something, I answer quite a bit. And my wife sort of gives me that look at, at the dinner table when I'm talking to customers. Right. Yeah. I think you're one of those guys that's been in Facebook jail once or twice, aren't you? Oh yeah. My <laughs> personal account gets, gets, uh, sometimes I can be a little opinionated. <laughs> right. So yeah. Um, if you ever want to check them out, you know, we just told you where to look, um, build some great rifles. I've seen several in person and I'm very impressed with how they look. And obviously the guys that like them uh, really enjoy how they perform too. Uh, like I said, I know several guys here in Michigan that shoot them and absolutely love them. So feel free to check them out on any of the social media platforms or give them a call or email and uh, appreciate you joining us tonight, Scott. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you having me on. No problem. Maybe we'll do it again sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. Maybe I'll get up there and hunt with you guys. That would be awesome. You got an open invitation anytime you want. Oh, I appreciate it. Just so I you travel, know. Just so you I know, travel you, quite a bit to hunt. So just so you know, if, if you come in the winter, it can get pretty cold. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Chicago and I was stationed in Alaska. Yeah, that's true. I got, the, I got the tools for it. There you go. All right. Thank you, everyone. All right. We'll talk to you later.